So I'm trusting if you've been with us a bit, you know that, that I'm, I'm trying to spend lots of time in the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. This week or this month, we're in the sound mind. And I want to just uh, talk a little bit or just share a story about the importance of, of things thinking clearly. I was out for dinner in Winnipeg yesterday, and we were eating someplace in a neighborhood that there's two ways home from downtown for me. There's the regular way home that I'm kind of used to and I can turn off my brain and most likely get home. And then there's the GPS route where in the dark, where everything's just red lights and, you know, the snow's been on the ground. There's no lines on the ground anywhere in, in Winnipeg. Steinbeck's probably similar, but there's no lines on the ground. There's just ruts. And seriously, the ruts, sometimes you find out the line is right in the middle of the ruts. And so it's a little tense, it's dark. And about three minutes into my GPS route home, my GPS decided to recalculate the route. And then when it got to 99%, it decided it was too cold to work anymore. And so it just stopped. It just makes me think, like, sometimes when, you're, when, when your brain isn't working it, right, it's not a blessing to the people around you. And when your GPS just decides to not have a sound mind, it means you need to, like, quickly, radically pull over and upgrade to that high-end personal surveillance device we call an iPhone for a second opinion on how you get home. So we're talking about having a a sound mind or having self-control. And this is one of the things that God wants to work into the lives of every one of his children. This is one of the goals of the Holy Spirit as he makes us into true temples, is that we would be people who think clearly based on the truth of God, and out of that, act with self-control. Now, a little confession here is that I'm actually in my brain melding together two different passages. And the two different passages are from Galatians 5, where we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but also 2 Timothy 1.7, which is kind of like as close to a life verse as I have. And we'll read two of them, and they're actually two different Greek words, and they do kind of two different little things. But if you're going to be tracking with me, and also for my own personal integrity as handling the Word of God, I just want to explain to you what I'm doing. So in Galatians chapter 5, the word we're looking at is enkratea, and it means self-control, like you are guarding your emotions, you aren't having any emotions out of being like in control of. Um, You're a person who's Intending to do what they actually do and not doing things that you don't intend to do. You can walk by that bag of Lindor chocolates and, and the same number of those little wonderful balls of chocolate are there at the end of the day as when you started because you're under self-control. You're just, there's a unity between what you intend to do and what you actually do. The other word is sophronismos. Um, which means a sound mind or self-control, and that's from 2 Timothy 1.7, where it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Both talking about the Holy Spirit, both what he does in people's lives, but that one has more to do with 
you have the thinking clearly and your, your mind working the way the Holy Spirit wants a mind to work. And if you need a little analogy for that, Yeah. Someone I know got the ultimate Lego set around Christmas, the two-scale Millennium Falcon, and uh, became a Lego Giga Chad. And, um, but this is the in-process part, and as they were explaining to me how it works, like it was very important in the early stages to build the really strong framework of the spaceship so that as you build on top of that, the pieces that aren't as securely attached don't blow up. But you can see, if you can see the picture, there's a lot of detail in there. And the whole thing is put together just by taking the right pieces and pressing them together in the right way according to the instructions, which were how many steps? There's like a thousand steps or something. There's over a thousand steps. A little over a thousand steps of what to press together where in order for everything to fit together into the most famous spaceship in human history. But for me, this just speaks to this idea of synchronismos, having your thoughts, your wisdom put together, gathered together in the right way. We need to actually see the world right from God's perspective, and then from there, also by the power of the Spirit, act in a way that, that we're acting like what's true is true. And this is a sound mind, and this is being under self-control. Is that helpful? Putting the pieces together in our minds and heart in the right places so that we have a millennium falcon and we don't just have a mess of plastic that your parents walk on and then you lose your right to eat food for a week. All right. So with this in mind, I want to go to a passage in Ephesians that has to do with having the renewal of the mind And specifically, I want to talk about the spiritual warfare in our minds around the topic of forgiveness. I want to take us to a passage that is going to teach us about the spiritual warfare that surrounds our hearts and minds, specifically about the importance of having a radical commitment to forgiveness if you're going to think clearly as a follower of Jesus and act the way you want to act and we want to act. This is my goal for this morning. I actually wanted to talk about other things, but I'm just like, if we don't get this right, most of the rest of Scripture will be useless to us. If we don't get forgiveness right, most of the rest of what we learn about God will not benefit us or the people around us. And maybe that sounds like a big thing to say, but I hope by the time I'm done, you don't totally think I'm out to lunch. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 20. He's just finished talking about um, unbelievers and how they're just controlled by their passions, their angers, their lusts, their hunger, their thirst, their pride, their envy, whatever it is. There is a passion and a desire that is the boss of their minds or the boss of our minds. And then he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So again, the importance of knowing truth and actually following Jesus. This calling, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the Christian life, this process of getting rid of who we were and saying no to who we would be without Jesus and becoming this true image bearer of the living God through Christ, being renewed in our minds and becoming more and more righteous and holy in our lives. This new self that we have gained in Jesus. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And then he has a verse about not stealing, and then he has a verse about not corrupting tongue, which I pray about before and after every message. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's this willingness to hurt people because you're angry at them. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. So this is what I mean about this Christian life and this morning taking time to, as you think about your mind and you think about how you live, this call to see ourselves in the midst of this spiritual battle that hinges on our capacity to forgive. It's right there. There is a way to live where you live your life as a chicken McNugget for the devil. Where he's just ready to scoop you up, pop you in some sweet and sour sauce, and gobble you. And there is also a life that does not grieve, but actually pleases the Holy Spirit of God. And it has to do with Things that revolve around forgiveness, anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, or kindness, tenderheartedness. This is the brain battle. And I may repeat myself a bit. I come back to this every once in a while because we forget. We all forget. The Lego pieces get loose. Suddenly the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon's on the ground. And it needs to get put back on and pressed back into place and fit back to where it belongs in our lives. So what I want to do is I want to talk about some sound-minded ideas from this and then talk about some actions for self-control in our lives. Number one, to have a sound mind, 
You ought to think about yourself as a new creation in the middle of a spiritual battle. If you want to be in reality, if you want to live life the way it actually is, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you believe that he is your Lord, if you've submitted to him, you ought to think about yourself as a radically renewed spiritual creature that belongs to Christ, that you've started this new life, that you're this new thing, that you belong to God, that you're walking with him, that he cares about you, that he's attentive about you, that he has a will for you and a want for you and a mission for you, and you are something amazing, a new creation in Jesus Christ. That there is no little people in the church, and there is no unimportant people in the church, and there is no garbage people in the church, and there is no back row people in the church. There is just this amazing thing, people born again by the powerful Spirit of God, forgiven sinners, now saints, and lost orphans, now children. You are a miracle. You are an impossible thing, breathing and living and walking and eating. This is who you are. And me too. And it's not up for grabs and it's not up for sale. And you can't make it. You can't earn it. This is the new self created in the likeness of God for holiness and righteousness in Jesus. But that doesn't make it easy at all. Because there is a spiritual battle between the devil and demonic forces. And between the Holy Spirit of God. And they are completely opposed to each other. They do not have any common ground. They do not go to peace talks. They do not have anybody else trying to cause a ceasefire. This is utter total war to complete destruction. Carthago, Delenda Est, this city must be destroyed, says the Spirit of God. All sin, all sin, the devil and his angels, they must be completely wiped out. No quarter, no mercy. But the devil hates us, and he is a liar and a deceiver, and until he is finally tossed into the lake of fire completely, His aim is to take as many people with him as he can. And if he does lose us to make our lives as worthless to the kingdom and wrecked and full of regret as possible. So that we can do him the least amount of harm. This is clear thinking. This is clear thinking. I'm sorry. Every day you wake up into a world where the devil wants to deceive you and ruin your life. And no matter the temperature outside, that is the world you wake up into. We can either fight and win, or we can lose. But we cannot wake up into a day where there is no opportunities for the devil to get a foothold into our life, depending on how we think and live. It's just, I can't, I can't, it just, physics is real, chemistry is real, <laughs> gravity will kick in as soon as you jump out of an airplane, no matter how I feel about you personally, and every single day this fight is there. 
for all of us. And we can either say, makes sense, I would like to win, Jesus. Or, the other thing. It is like air. It is just there. Now, we are not alone. I don't want this to be a message about that kind of thing. We are indwelled by the most powerful force on earth, which is the sent Holy Spirit into the church. He can take dead bodies and make them live forever. And he's only done it for one person so far, but that one person is a down payment on everybody else who puts their trust in Jesus. And there will be a day when you are either transformed in the twinkle of an eye at Jesus' mighty return, or you are raised from the grave, no matter how the dust of your decomposed body is scattered throughout the universe, you will be gathered together into a never-ending life. That is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And everything less than that is easier than that. Does that make sense? Everything, every change that needs to happen that isn't taking your bones and giving you a life that never ends is easier, and he can do it. So despair is not your friend when you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's just not real. Thought number two, we do owe a total allegiance to please the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our friend. He's, he's just, he's our best friend. He is our best friend. I know you've got good friends. Some of you are looking at your friend who you want to be their best friend and you're saying like, don't forget about me or whatever. Just press pause to that FOMO. Press pause to that fear of missing out. Press pause to that fear of rejection. Let everybody here have the Holy Spirit of God as their best friend the one who's so close to them that he is inside of them, the one who wants good for us more than more that your mother could not ever want as much good for you as the Holy Spirit wants good for you. No spouse is ever in love with their spouse as the Holy Spirit loves you. And he's a person. And he can be made happy by how we respond to the life he's living in us. And he can also be deeply grieved by what we think and feel and do. He's a real person. And I think sometimes we can forget that, or sometimes we can be insensitive to that, or sometimes you can come to church and people say, like, there's grace, there's grace, there's grace. And you can just think that, okay, I'm under grace, that's great. And we can forget that he is more of a person than we are a person. He was a person first. And whatever personhood we have as thinking and feeling and living beings, we are made in his image, not him in our image. We reflect him as people, not him reflecting us as people. He is a thinking, feeling person. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians it says that he likes to actually like get to know people and search things out. And he spends his time searching out even the depths of the hidden things of the Father's hearts and thoughts. How much more does he like to search out what's going on in my fatty gray matter skullcap, shall be saying. And he has thoughts and feelings. Not as a bully, not as a nag, not as a Pharisee, not as a critic, but as your loving creator. 
He cares about what's going on inside of us. And so the right way to think about this as these new creations in a spiritual battle is that we owe a life and death allegiance to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. That whatever's going on in our life, our first loyalty ought to be, Holy Spirit, how can I please you here and not grieve you? Holy Spirit, how can we please you here and not grieve you? Holy Spirit, I don't think you're easily hurt. I don't think you're thin-skinned. I don't think you're a snowflake. But I think that you deeply care about the bride of Christ. And how we do is what you're doing. And you hate it when we participate with the works of the enemy and give him a foothold when you know what Jesus paid to have us as his treasure. And so you get grieved. And so, Holy Spirit, I just give you us. How can we please you? Put it on our hearts. Put it on our minds. Help us. Help us. And thought number three, for a sound mind. If we are in this battle and our allegiance is to Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit, I'm a hardcore Trinitarian, so don't think I'm ever saying Holy Spirit and forgetting about the Father or the Spirit. I'm more of a Trinitarian than you. There, I've started a fight. (laughs) But it's probably true. But I don't want to fight about it, but it's probably true. And we should fight about it. Number three. Sound mind, then I really need to know the rules of the game. If that makes sense. If we are in a battle, and there is such a thing as pleasing the Spirit and displeasing the Spirit, there is such a thing as saying no to Satan and saying yes to Satan, even without saying the words, yes, Satan, you can say yes to him, then ought we not learn the rules of the game? I remember this was a few years ago in the Olympics. Do people watch those anymore? I think once you have like a fourth kid, then the idea of waking up at 2 in the morning to watch 12 hours of sports, it loses its appeal. But I do remember one time, and I think it was a Canadian runner, which is why I remember it. There was one of these running events, and I think it was Canadian, I could be wrong, but one of the guys who actually did fairly well, they ran their race, they crossed their line, and they turned to look up at the scoreboard. And Was it a Canadian runner? And instead of a time, it said disqualified. Ran the race, ran hard, I think maybe even placed. I don't know if it was first, but like third or something like that. Instead of a time, it just says disqualified. What had happened was, while he was rounding that corner, one of the final corners, he stepped out of the line. They have lines. You've got like two or three feet, the white lines. If you step over it, you do not score. At the Olympics, running, winning, disqualified for stepping out of the line one time. And we can say... Man, that's pretty ungracious. Those are the rules. 
You don't like the rules, you don't have to run the race. They're just the rules. And so they interviewed the guy, and he was actually like pretty, like, giga-chat about it. This is super disappointing, but this is my sport. I should have never done it. That is a mature way to respond to being disqualified in the Olympics. It was a rookie mistake. I should have never done it, and it was on me to not do it. Because I know you run hard, but you have to run between the lines. Which the Apostle Paul says. If you're in a sport, you have to compete according to the rules if you want a crown. So ought we not, church, more than just enjoying the coffee, more than just enjoying the singing, more than just enjoying the songs, ask, do I even know the rules of the game I'm in? To please the Spirit and not be giving opportunity to the enemy. Yeah? Well, rule number one of running your race in Christ Unforgiveness is completely 100% off limits. You don't like the rules, you don't need to run the race. But if you want to go to heaven, I'm just telling you, unforgiveness is completely off limits. And you don't have to take my word for it. Do do do. Matthew chapter 18, I think it was. I'll do it from memory. One of the disciples comes to Jesus. Jesus, do I have to forgive my brother? When he asks again, because he's such an annoying loser. It's it there in the Greek. It's not there in the Greek, but it's a better story. He snores and the flatulence, and he never... And Jesus says something like, not only, not only do you have to forgive him, Oh, he says, like, up to seven times. I'm so gracious. I'm so rich and overflowing. Crown me now. Up to seven times. Just put the thing in the thing, and I'll wear a dress, and I'll be the prettiest belle at the ball, and it'll be so good. He says not just seven times, but 70 times seven, and then he tells us a story. Once was a man who owed ten gajillion dollars to a king. And the king wanted to settle debts with all of his servants. And he says to the guy, how much do you owe me? He says, just forgive me, or just give me some time and I'll pay it all back. You can pay back seven gigajillion. That's the whole point of how economics works south of the border. If you just spend enough, no one can ever ask you to pay them back. That's how the story goes. And the king forgives. Forget about it. I will swallow the cost, says the king. Well, this guy goes off and finds another servant who owes them well, 5000 A lot, but not the same. A lot, but not the same ballpark at all. Starts choking him. Pay back what you owe. Guy says, give me a sec. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to pay you. No, he says. Throws him in prison. The other servants go and tell the master what they've seen, and the master is furious. He gets that first servant and says, to him something like, I forgave you all that stuff and now you can't forgive anybody else? Why don't you actually just go to jail now? I'm going to hand you over to the torturer until you can pay back everything you owe. And the thing that Jesus ends the story with is saying, so it will be with you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. 
Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Lord's Prayer, where we pray daily for the Lord to forgive us our trespasses, he says, if you don't forgive the people who trespass against you, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. Shall I offer you a definition of hell on earth? Being unforgiven by God. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not yelling at people who make their living as celebrities. He's talking to people who say that they believe he's the Lord. And he says, if you won't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Those are the rules. If you don't like the rules, you don't have to run the race. But this is the way. So let's change the sport a little bit. The world's most popular sport is soccer, but everyone else calls it football. Are you allowed to touch the ball with your hands? No, not, yeah, throw-ins after there's been a problem or you're the goalie. But you're never allowed to touch the ball with your hands. It's just the rules. Someone can kick the ball at you. You can hit it with your face. You can hit it with your forehead. I'm sure there's some like there's a scorpion move, which looks really good if you can pull it off. It can hit you anywhere, but you can't touch it with your hands. If it goes off your hands into the goal, it's not a goal. If you make a pass with your hands, stop everything. You just have to learn it. And in life, the ball is going to come at us from the Lord or from something else under the sovereignty of the Lord, from every different direction. Some of the balls of life that get kicked at us are going to be right at our feet. And we'll be like, no problem. Um, Jackie and I are learning that we're not super emotionally involved with our vehicles getting into accidents. We've got lots of experience from the last year, and it's a really good laugh. It's, uh, it's just plastic. I mean, it's really funny because we were supposed to bring in the vehicle in a couple days to get the first thing fixed, and then we got another one, so we had to cancel that, and now it's just an estimate again. Just reloading the whole, just reload. It's just the whole experience over again. And, and over time, uh, you can learn that car crashes aren't a big deal if everybody walks away from it in peace, in one piece. You can just learn that. Sometimes when you're young, it's your first vehicle, you wax that thing every Saturday and somebody backs into it, that's a big, no, it's not, it feels like a big deal when it's not a big deal. Each one of us has something we probably find very hard to forgive when it happens. Where it's the ball getting kicked right at our hands when we're standing like this. And everything inside of us is going to want to grab the ball and be unforgiving. I had a friend actually tell me once we were talking about personalities and I was sharing my personality with him and he said, yeah, your type of personality is really prone to offense and unforgiveness. And I was so offended, I never forgave the guy. (laughs) I actually have never talked to him since. (laughs) He does live in another city, so that may play into it. But it was very interesting because I just thought, that sounds like a sucky soul to have. Am I right? That sounds like, well, you know, when God was just handing them out, you know, T 
team one, team two, team three. You know, he's just working through whatever system you use, the big five personality types of the Enneagrams or the disc or whatever. He's just working through all those personality types, and it's like, yay, I got the D out on S off, man. Yeah, it's easy, you know. One's yay, three's yay, five's, oh, crumbs. You mean I'm going to be like, really overly concerned about definitions of words and find it very hard to find birthday presents people like. Oh, this is terrible. I had a change of heart about it, though. It was something along the lines of, okay, so it's a bit harder for me than other people. So what? Like, what are the options here? This isn't actually a fight you can lose. You, you have to do this. Like, okay, so it's harder for me sometimes. That just means I have to try harder. Because you can't lose this fight. You just cannot. You can't lose this. Brothers and sisters, we can't lose this fight. It's, it won't be okay to grab the ball with unforgiving hands. We won't be Okay. The people around you won't be okay. Your family won't be okay. The church will not be okay. The global church won't be okay. We, we, you can't do this. The game stops. The referee blows his whistle, and you get a penalty, and the other guys get the ball. And, and I'm, I'm being severe without attacking anybody. I'm just telling us, this, these are the rules. Rule number two, angry is an IED that needs diffusing. IED is an improvised explosive device. Things that terrorists lay on roadways to blow up unsuspecting people as they go by. When anger comes up, it, it is all of a sudden, when, as soon as I get angry, I do live like this because I've really wrecked a lot of stuff by not living. I do live, as soon as I start to feel irritated, I start talking to Jesus. Where did this come from? What's going on? This isn't safe. If the bomb squad doesn't come and snip the, snip the blue wires, unless there's a yellow wire, do, 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 it's down, down to seven, five, four, I missed six, go back to six, now down to three. Snip, snip, snip. There's a bomb on a bus, hot shot. Every time I start feeling irritated, there's a bomb on a bus, hot shot. Wow. If this does not get diffused, it's going to go bad because these are the rules. And according to the book, you've got them at max... In the winter, you've got like five hours max. <laughs> Even on the longest day of the year, you have less than 24 hours to find Jesus in this feeling before the enemy starts to get in there. He doesn't play by the rules. He's looking for doors. He wants to get in. And most of the time, our souls are an unguarded border. Thought number three, give honor by being honest. I want to, This is that first verse that we have to keep working on our honesty with each other and speaking the truth with our neighbor in love. I, I put give honor by being honest because sometimes there's like a, an honesty which is like um, where you've, what? You've taken a sandwich and you've, you've laced it with laxatives and you, then you give it to the person. You like tuna fish? And there's like an honesty that actually half intends to hurt. And just being honest that you suck. Just being honest. Anybody done that? 
Just me. Thank you. Over there. Okay, all this, all of us people who should probably not be on stages. These are the rules. Honesty is meant to be shared when we're feeling like we're working on being members with one another. Yeah, and try kindness from a tender heart. That's tough. Now, I know there's a process for all this stuff, and one of the, the things that can happen with things like unforgiveness and anger is just it gets so mixed together with hurt and a desire to defend ourselves. Um, anybody heard the proverb, once bitten, twice shy before? This is like the most sane proverb I've ever heard. How many times do you really have to get hurt before you never want to do that again? Usually just one time. You can get bit by a dog when you're a kid and hate dogs for the rest of your life. Once bitten, twice shy. It just means like one painful experience takes a lot of work to get over sometimes. And I get that, and we've all got that. And sometimes I think as Christians, we just need to practice the difference between prayerfully releasing the right to revenge to the Lord and then working on the hurt that can remain. And then the enemy will want to get in there and, and make us remember stuff. And You know, you can always tell you're in trouble because you're watching the same movie in your brain. You know what I mean? I had a time when we were living in Vancouver where we had, like, no cable. And we had five movies. The Incredibles, which is great. What About Bob, which literally, you have to watch it ten times before you can start enjoying it. It was the most boring movie I've ever seen for the first seven times. And then I was like, oh... That's actually pretty funny. And then, (laughs) whatever. I think we had Groundhog Day in there as well, maybe. After the the, the 20th watch, it was unhealthy. (laughs) And I should have just been doing the dishes. Right, hon? Yes, I learned. It took me a while, but I learned. You know, when you're rehearsing, Careful. When you're losing sleep, careful. You might have rats in the attic. But I think that there is something to just getting to the Lord and saying, like it says in Romans, you just give God the right to vengeance. I forgive. I release the debt. I release the debt. I release the debt. And Lord, help me with the hurt. And there is something to being post-hurt with Jesus where you're so much stronger than before. So often the deep wounds about bad things are actually grinding into insecurities and fears that were already there before the bad thing happened. A rejection makes you feel like your unworthiness that you feared you had was actually true to start off with. And so often just working through hard things with the Lord and with help from friends, friends who help you notice what's going on in your soul and learn to reject what needs to be rejected and learn how to walk through what needs to be walked through, you end up being more like Jesus, who had every opportunity to be angry with us forever and chose not to do it. 
who had every right to hold a debt and a grudge against us forever and has chosen not to do it at the cost of his own blood. Jesus is post-unforgiveness. He's post-anger. He speaks the truth and love to us, and he's decided to be tender-hearted to us forever. And the only way to really become like Jesus is to have all kinds of opportunities where we need to forgive. Lord, where do you want us to go from here? I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to give a prayer. And uh, I want you to know that Jesus is here, and he knows how you're doing. And he's for you. And he's really safe to talk to about how you're really doing. If you need to tell Jesus, Jesus, I actually never want to forgive, and this is the worst message I've ever heard, and I'm angry about it being said, tell him that, and then end it with, and please help me. If you're in a place where you want to want to forgive, start there. Jesus put into my heart the desire to really forgive, if that's all you are. And we know from Scripture there's times where Jesus has dealt with people and they'll say, I believe and help my unbelief. Like, I I want to believe and help me there. And there was a bit of a correction, but then a miracle. And if God's convicting you about something, you can in prayer say, Lord, I give all the debt of this to you, and would you deal with it and give me the best heart possible to be part of great things happening. And God will do that with you. But Lord, you are in the forgiveness business. And forgiveness is what we offer to the world And the difference between being in your forgiveness and out of your forgiveness is an eternity. And so, Lord, I pray as our friend you would speak clearly to our souls if there is a place we've let the the enemy in. And, Lord, I just give you, like, sometimes when we let the enemy in, it feels so right. It doesn't feel like the enemy. we, We feel right. I pray that you bring clarity. I pray you'd help it feel ugly and we'd see it for what it is. Father, for anybody here who's lost a sense of the tenderness of God's presence because of unforgiveness, you just don't feel close to you anymore and you want to draw near, but this is so important to you that forgiveness needs to be there. Pray that this would happen, Lord Jesus. I pray that nobody here would not be living in the tender closeness of God because of this. Lord, I pray you'd build up our strength so that we would not be so easily hurt by things and so easily triggered. But Lord, where we have triggers and where we have open wounds, the healing of the Spirit of God would come and make us more whole 
and more Christ-like. You could go through so much without being triggered, Jesus, and we want to grow more like you every day. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to think so clearly about our lives and be walking in the Spirit. And all God's people said,